Well, if you have a Bible with you this evening, let me invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 27 as we continue our study in the book of Genesis. Genesis 27. This is the word of God. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt for ge- and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me, so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fail me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may fail you, my son, to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. 
So he brought it near to him, and he ate. And he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. 
until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite woman. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Amen. We thank God for his word to us this evening. I'm not sure if you've been following the, the SNP leadership election candidates as they, as they line up and put themselves forward this week. There seems to be a, a lot of airtime has been given to it, uh, certainly on the BBC. And this week it's been really quite interesting to see them set out their stall. And as a Christian, my interest has especially been following that of Kate Forbes. And the response to a candidate who holds to biblical teaching on things like marriage and gender. And here's the question, is there room, is there room in political leadership for someone who refuses to go along with the culture of the day? It's a big question, isn't it? It's going to be interesting to see how this pans out. Well, as I listened to her interviews, I found it quite refreshing, quite refreshing when a politician would actually give you some straight answers, as she would say, and didn't just sidestep the question. Well, let's imagine that there's an election coming up, right? An election coming up, and you've got four candidates. And here's your four candidates, okay? Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau. That was your four candidates lined up. I wonder how you would vote this evening. Because <laughs> let's be honest, it's not easy, is it? It's not easy to, to look at these uh, four candidates and, and to see that one really comes out of this with great moral integrity, is it? No, absolutely not. Because we'd be wanting someone with, with, with well, someone who'd give us straight answers, and yet we don't see it here in the text, do we? None of these four seem to give us straight answers. They seem to be lacking. This evening we're going to do something slightly different. Normally I kind of just work through verse by verse, but a big chunk, I guess, it's probably not going to be possible to do that this evening. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some lessons that we can learn from each of the four characters in the story. Some lessons that we can learn from each of the four characters in the story. And we're going to start with Isaac. Isaac, right at the start of the chapter, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son... He answered, here I am. Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out into the field and, and hunt for game for me. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now this might only be four verses about the man Isaac. And yet I think these four verses teach us much about the man. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. Isaac is led by his fallible senses, his frail and faltering senses, okay? Rather than being led by God's certain word. He's led by his senses rather than God's certain word. And I think we actually see that the whole way through the passage, but it starts here, okay? And I think the writer really wants us to spot the emphasis on his senses. Look at how many of his senses actually appear in this chapter. I wonder, did you spot it as we worked our way through? Because as, as you read through this chapter, we're told of his sight, we're told of his taste, we're told of his smell, we're told of his hearing, and we're told of his touch, okay? Now that's quite unusual in one chapter in the Bible, isn't it? Because they're all there. 
And so I think the writer wants us to spot that this evening. Verse 1, we see his sight. His eyes are dim. He's an old man and his eyes are sadly, well, they're, they're no longer working like they used to. Some of you are here and you know what that's like. When your eyes no longer give you the clarity that you long for, well, that's the position he finds himself in, isn't it? Physically, he can no longer see. And then verse 4, in taste, he says, go and prepare a delicious food. That's what he's looking for, something that tastes really nice. Delicious food. And in fact, that, that phrase, delicious food, that comes up six times in this chapter. Six times in this chapter in Genesis, and that's the only place that it features in the rest of the book. Six times all about Isaac. Repetition, delicious food, delicious food, delicious food, delicious food, delicious food, delicious food. And I'm pretty sure that the writer wants us to pick up on this. Otherwise, why on earth would he repeat it so many times? So Moses, as he writes this, what's he wanting us to see? Well, he wants us to see here's a man who loves his food. Yes, absolutely. But here is a man who is driven by his appetite, isn't he? He's driven by his appetite. And notice that delicious food is actually the condition that's set for Esau, his firstborn son, to receive the blessing. Did you spot that? Now, think about that for a moment, because it's not hard to think of some links to another story in Genesis that we looked at very recently, just a few weeks ago, where someone treated really nice food for blessing. Can you think of who it was? Really nice food, and they treated it for blessing, because it sounds very much like the story of Isaac's own sons, doesn't it? Just flick back to the end of chapter 25, and you'll see it there, the story of Jacob and Esau. And what happens? Esau comes in from the field, doesn't he? And he trades his birthright, what for? Some delicious food, a beautiful bowl of stew. That's what he wants, isn't it? So he trades his blessing for some delicious food. And it feels like every week, whoever's preaching up here, as we work our way through Genesis, says this again and again and again. We see a repeated pattern, don't we? We see repeated patterns because the sins of the parents play out in the sins of their children. Now, I know here that as we, as we read through Genesis, it's flipped, isn't it? Because we meet the sins of the, of the sons, and then we see the, the father repeat it. But surely... Surely, as we see this man who's driven by his appetite, surely this is, it's not just the first time it's happened, is it? Presumably, this is, the, this is the mark of the man. He is a man who is led by his appetite. He's led by his appetite, and we see it in his son. You see, what boys and girls see modeled as they grow up, they often repeat, don't they? Often they repeat it. And so for all of us here, parents this evening, that's a real challenge, isn't it? Because is the way that you're living the way that you want your children to repeat? And it's also a challenge for all of us here who are children. <laughs> because, well, I suppose it's all of us, isn't it? <laughs> because as we look at our parents, we need to be able to discern what they did well, but also where they fell. His son thinks, well, this, this is not Esau. But then he, he feels and he says, oh, it is. It is Esau. Now, surely at this point, alarm bells should have been ringing. Alarm bells, because 
all, all of the attributes of your son, surely they should all match up, okay? They should all point to the same son. So there should be great alarm bells going off here. But he moves on to his smell. Surely his smell will confirm one way or the other. Well, we see that in verse 27, don't we? So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments. And he blessed him. This time it's the smell of his son that finally seems to convince him, isn't it? Finally seems to convince him that it is indeed Esau. And so he follows through with a blessing. Now here is a man who trusts his, his fallible senses, where there's clearly so much room for error, rather than the certain word of God. Now maybe you're thinking, Jeff, what do you mean by that? Where's the certain word of God that we see here in this, in this chapter? Well, let me show you. See, Isaac sets out to bless Esau. Esau, his firstborn. Now the blessing here is, is something that's incredibly important, Okay. This is not to be taken lightly. This is, it's not the same as a, a prayer that a, a father today might pray for his, for his children. Rather here, the blessing is, is something that took place when the patriarchs, so Abraham and, and then Isaac and then Jacob, whenever they, they passed the blessing that was given to Abraham, Abraham on to the next generation, singular line passed from one generation to the next. And so it was if this, this particular blessing was it was almost as if it was like God's word being passed from one generation to the next, and that the father figure was really just the instrument that was being used. And so as the father, the head of the home, approached what they knew to be the end of their days, here on this earth, they passed on the blessing. They passed on the blessing to the next generation. And so Isaac is seeking to do just that. He's, he's seeking to, to pass on the blessing, and he's seeking to pass it on to Esau, because Esau is his favorite son, okay? Here's a really important thing to hear, parents. We are not to have favorite children, okay? Unless you have one, okay? You should not have favorite children. Esau was his favorite. We see that back in 25, 28. But we already know from chapter 25 something else. We already know that God has already said that the older shall serve the younger, Okay? That's really important. The older shall serve the younger. It was a message that was given to Rebecca while the twins were still inside her tummy. The older shall serve the younger. Now, the idea that Rebecca kept this, uh, what God had said to her, quiet, that, that she didn't pass it on, that she kept it a secret, well, it's possible, yes, but it seems incredibly unlikely because why on earth would she do that? It, it really makes no sense at all, does it? And so I think we can assume that Isaac already knows this. Isaac already knows that God has said, the older shall serve the younger. And yet, what does he do here? As he seeks to bless Esau, what does he do? He takes God's certain word and he says, no, I'm going to push in another direction. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to push in another direction. You see, Isaac always favored Esau. And do you know what the reason we're given is? We're actually told the reason that it was his favorite. And the reason that Esau was his favorite was... Because he loved to eat his food. It really was his appetite that led him to have a favorite. Because he was such a good cook and such a good skilled, skilled hunter, that's why he liked him more than he liked his other son. And so that delicious food is just something that Isaac cannot get over, is it? Isaac is led by his appetite. It's his appetite that leads him. He's directed by his senses, even though his senses don't always lead him to the right place. 
so he wants to bless Esau. And as far as he's aware, from his senses, that is what he's going to do. He's going to bless Esau, and he sets about to do it. And yet he shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have done that. Rather, he should have taken God's sure and certain word, the thing that had been given to him, and he should have let that lead and guide him. That's what should have happened. And that would have led him to seek out Jacob, to bless Jacob rather than seeking out Esau. But rather, what do we see? We see that Isaac is led by his fallible senses rather than being led by the certain word of God. And here's the thing. Don't we often do the same thing? We might look at we might look at Isaac and say, oh, Isaac, what are you doing? And yet, we often do the same, uh, play the same game, don't we? God's word says that gluttony is a sin, and yet the smell of the food is so good. And so we just keep eating. And God's word says that drunkenness is wrong, and yet each sip tastes so good, and so we just keep drinking. And God's word says that we should not be in a relationship with someone who's not a Christian, if we're a Christian. And yet being in the relationship feels so good, and so we just keep going in the relationship. God's word says not to fill our, our minds. Well, God's word says that we're to fill our minds with what is true and good and, and, and right and pure. And yet, you know, you, you want to watch that series on Netflix? And so you push the button on the remote control and you start to watch it. And all of the images that you see, well, you can't unsee them, can you? And yet they do not match up as being good and true and pure. No, you can never unsee them. God's word says... We should be sexually pure, and yet, in the moment, it feels so good, and so we continue on, and and then once again, we realize we have fallen into sexual sin. You see, we too often, sadly, follow in the footsteps of our ancestor Isaac, don't we? And yet, it doesn't have to be that way, because if you're a Christian here this evening, well, then you are a new creation, so the Bible teaches we're a new creation. God is at work changing you and sanctifying you. And so let's not be like Isaac in this regard. We don't have to follow his pattern. We can choose to reject sin and, and turn away from sin and with God's help move in the other direction. And so let's seek to hold to God's word. Take him at his word, trust him at his word. Know that this is always a better way to live. Always a way to blessing is to listen to the word of God. And let's take God's sure and certain word as our guide. Rather than trusting your sight or your smell or your touch or your taste, any kind of appetite, don't just, don't just go with your appetite. No, no, no. Trust God's word. Take it as sure and certain. Now let's look at Rebecca, verse five. Now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to her son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. How would you describe 
this lady, Rebecca. <laughs> She's a deceitful schemer, isn't she? <laughs> and who does she scheme against? Well, here she schemes against her husband, doesn't she? Now, this is Isaac and Rebecca, who, who fell in love just a few chapters ago when it was oh so rosy right back then, wasn't it? And it looks like they have been faithful in their marriage, which is wonderful. Isaac doesn't take on any other wives. And yet, we see a marriage that really isn't working in the way that it should work. The biblical teaching is that wives are to respect their husbands. Does this, does this look like respect to you? I don't think that's what we see here, is it? And you have to ask the question, how does it get to this? How does it get to this point? Isaac and Rebecca, they were this match made in heaven, a beautiful bride for her husband, who were so much in love. How did, how did it get to this part? Where they're pulling in two completely different directions. Here she is, and she's actively seeking to usurp her husband's authority. She's actively seeking to take on his role as the leader within the home. The very thing that God said would happen back in Genesis 3 Whenever he speaks to the woman, this is what he says after the fall. He says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. And here we see it being played out, exactly what God said would happen. Here we see it played out. Rebecca actively sets her son, her favorite son, out to trick her husband. There's no mention of them discussing who should rightfully receive the blessing, is there? There's no little note that says one night there was a bit of pillow talk and they said, well, do you know what? We should really discuss this. We should be heading in the same direction. Which of our sons should receive the blessing? There's no mention of that, is there? No. No mention of them discussing the words that were given to Rebecca whenever she was pregnant all those years ago. The older shall serve the younger. Well, let's see how that plays out. Who should receive the blessing then? Do they discuss it? No, we don't, we don't get any idea that they discuss it. Or what about discussing what happened with the stew? Do you remember that time whenever Esau traded, traded his birthright? Should that affect who gets the blessing here? Should we, should we think about that for a second? No, they don't talk about that, do they? No. Communication certainly seems to be lacking, doesn't it? And for those who are married this evening, pick up on this, okay? Communication is really, really important. If a family is going to flourish, communication between the parents is really important. Talking together, discussing together, coming to a united front together, pulling in the same direction together. Those are really important lessons, aren't they? A husband's sacrificial love for his wife, absolutely. And a wife's respect for her husband. So one of the, the lessons here is to learn from the dysfunction of this family, okay? Learn from the dysfunction of this family. Because what we see is, rather than having an, an open conversation between Isaac and Rebecca, rather than having that, we see the opposite. We have this listening in, do you see that? Listening into the other's conversations, listening in to see, and it seems like that was perfectly acceptable to Rebecca. Now, if you trust the other party, well then, that's not how you act. You don't listen in. To what they're saying. No, that's not what happens in a, in a relationship where you trust the other. And so you have to wonder, when did this start? I wonder, did it start with misplaced love? 
Back in 25, 28, we read this. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. They had their favorites, didn't they? Misplaced love. As parents, they should have loved both children equally, okay? That's, that's what parents are supposed to do, but they don't. They had their favorites. And it seems that their love for their favorite child was greater than their love for the other spouse, their husband and their wife. And so that leads to a whole skewed family dynamic, doesn't it? That leads to dysfunction rather than flourishing. And so for Rebecca, what does that mean? Well, it means that her love for her favorite son trumps her love for her husband. And so rather than letting her husband lead in the way that he's called to, well, she seeks to deceive him. From Rebecca, we're reminded of different roles in the home. We're reminded of the headship role that's given to husbands and that wives are called to respect their husbands, willfully following their lead. We're reminded of the basics and good relationships, that good communication is really, really key. We're reminded of that. We're reminded that parents should not have favorites. And we're reminded that the love for a child must not be greater than the love for a spouse. Well, next let's look at Jacob. What happens with Jacob? His, his mom has just told him the, the conversation that she's overheard between Isaac and Esau. Here's what she says. Look with me in verse 8. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. So here we have Rebecca. She's unveiled her scheming and deceitful plan to Jacob. And we know what his response is going to be, don't we? Okay. His mom comes and says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to set out and deceive your father. And so we know he's going to say, oh, mom, hold on. I cannot do that. I can't be part of this, mom. You call me to obey your voice, but there's one who is, who is much greater who I must obey. I must obey God himself who says we must not lie. And I cannot deceive my, my earthly father. I cannot lie to him. I cannot obtain the blessing in such a way. No, 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 mom. I will trust what God said whenever he said, the older shall serve the younger. I will trust that God will bring it to pass. But in these schemes, I can have no part. That's what we hope he says, isn't it? And yet it is very, very far from what he says. It's what we want to hear, and yet it never passes Jacob's lips. Because what does he say? Rather, his response is this, verse 11. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fail me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. You see, when it comes to Jacob, Jacob's concern isn't so much with righteousness, is it? His concern isn't really what's, what's right and what's wrong. No, rather, Jacob's concern is this. Jacob's concern is what's going to work out better for me? What's going to work out better for me. How risky is this plan, mum? I'm just not as hairy as my brother. That seems to be his big issue, isn't it? 
what's going to work out in his favor? And if it's going to work out in his favor, well, then it seems that Jacob is quite happy to proceed, doesn't it? Jacob is a pragmatist. He's pragmatic. (laughs) And so it's not a a question of what's right and what's wrong, but rather, which is more likely to get me what I want? wonder do you ever find yourself reasoning like that? It's not a question of what's right or wrong, but what will give me what I want? It's not a question of whether looking at porn on your laptop is right or wrong, but will anyone find me? It's not a question of whether an affair with a work colleague is right or wrong, but will I get caught? It's not a question of whether it's right or wrong to submit someone else's homework as your own, but will the teacher notice? It's not a question of whether it's right or wrong to send hurtful and nasty messages via social media to someone in my class, but will I get away with it? (laughs) It's not a question of whether it's right or wrong to do less hours than I'm contracted to do, but will my boss notice or or will my boss even care? It's not a question of whether my my tax self-assessment was accurate or not, but will the HMRC ever follow it up? See, the call to holy living for God's people is clear right throughout the Bible. And so we can say no to the allures of sin because we should always be asking the question, not what is going to work out best for me, but what is right, what is wrong, what does God's word say? Our old sinful patterns can change because we are now a new creation. We are now in Christ if we're a Christian this evening. The Spirit of God lives within us and empowers us to live a different life, godly lives, lives lived for God's glory and for our good. And look at how once Jacob starts off on this journey, a journey where he listens to his mum rather than listens to his heavenly father, look at where it ends up because he gets deeper and deeper and deeper into sin, doesn't he? He approaches his father, verse 18. Who are you, my son? His father asks. And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you've told me. Now sit up and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. Here he is in front of his father, his father who is clearly an, an old man who is frail near the end of his days. You can almost imagine the picture of him lying there in the, in the bed. And Jacob says, Come in, sit up, Dad, you know, sit up in your bed so you can eat some of this food. And Jacob gets straight to the point, doesn't he? He makes sure to remind him that the delicious food, it's not just a a way of caring for his elderly father. No, he says, don't forget about the blessing, Dad. You know, that's what this is for. This, This food's all about the blessing. So here's the food. Now give me the blessing. And so the relationship with his father is purely transactional at this point, isn't it? It's incredibly sad. But look at what happens next in verse 20. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you find it so quickly, my son? And he answered, look look at his answer. Look at what he says. Because the Lord your God granted me success. That's one thing to lie, isn't it? One thing to lie, but it's another thing to, to bring the Lord's name into it. Yahweh, the God of our forefathers. You see, sin's like that, isn't it? Starts off with one small step, 
off the path of righteous living. And before you know it, it is a spiral that goes deeper and deeper. It's sin that so easily entangles, isn't it? And it can take you deeper than you ever intended to go. Verse 24, are you really my son, Esau? And he answered, I am. It's a blatant lie, isn't it? And yet he seems quite comfortable with it. And so the lesson from Jacob is, do not willfully step off the path of righteous living. Do not willfully step off the path of righteous living. Do not be pragmatic with sin and think, well, I know it's sinful, but I think it'll work out better for me. Don't do it, because it will entangle you. It will entangle you. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And finally, let's look at Esau. And you might feel sorry for Esau. Here's Esau, and it looks like everything's going wrong for Esau, doesn't it? It looks like he's been done out of something that was really rightfully his. But that would be to forget that he had traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. <laughs> now, birthright and blessing, they're, they're not exactly the same thing. But although they're not identical, they, they really are very closely linked because they both deal with inheritance. And so Esau knew only too well that he had already made an oath, which meant that he was not entitled to the blessing from his father. And so does he say to his father, Father, I have to stop you right there, Father. <laughs> I need to say, this is not rightfully mine. I cannot go along with it. Does he do that? Well, no, he doesn't, does he? Of course not. We see in verse 30, he went out and, and he looked and hunted and he brought back food. Verse 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, then Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat some of his son's game, that you may bless me. You see, Esau was really not that different to the rest of his family, was he? He too was happy to, to break a legally binding oath in order that he would get what he wanted. He was no longer entitled to his birthright. All we see is he too is a sinful man, isn't he? But it was too late. His brother Jacob had stood there only moments earlier, wearing his very clothes and received the blessing already. Older brother, and as a result, he receives the blessing. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because for all of us who are Christians here this evening, that's your story, isn't it? That's, that's my story. We are like Jacob a deceitful sinner, not deserving any blessing from God whatsoever. And yet, because we are trusting in Christ Jesus as our older brother, we wear his righteous robes. We're clothed in his clothes, and his clothes cover up our sinful garments. And so as a result of being in Christ, we are dressed in righteousness. And what happens then? Well, we receive the blessing. And so as we look at this family, we see a, a family that's dysfunctional, don't we? All of its dysfunction is laid bare for us to see. And yet, I suppose at some level, all our families are the same, aren't they? As we look at this family, we see another family where none of them deserve on merit to be part of God's people. They don't deserve it. 
None of them deserve to receive his blessing. And yet, what do we see? We see God at work despite the mess. What God had said pre the birth of these twins comes to pass because Jacob receives the blessing, doesn't he? Even though the way that it's brought about is all messed up, absolutely. Yet God still sovereignly rules over it, doesn't he? Still rules and has his way. And as Isaac exclaims in in verse 33, he says, and he shall be blessed. And he shall be blessed. Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he works despite the mess, doesn't he? Despite the sinful actions of man, he does what he says he will do, and his plans, they cannot be thwarted. Where do we see that more clearly than at the cross? Where do we see it more clearly than at the cross? Listen to these words from Peter in the book of Acts. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. See, Jesus was killed at the hands of lawless men. Absolutely, he was. And yet those very hands were the hands that God used. And that had been promised the whole way back throughout God's word. See, these verses tonight, they give us many lessons, don't they? Lessons about trusting God at his word, taking him at his word. Lessons about family life and love and communication. Lessons about truthfulness and and righteousness. But it also tells us that God is able to work despite the sinful mess that we find ourselves in. It points us to the righteousness of Christ that we need to be cloaked in because we are sinful just like Isaac and Rebecca and Esau and Jacob. And if we were left to our own, we would have no hope when we stand before a holy God. But in Christ, in Christ, we are blessed. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this family, we recognize that it points all too much to a story like ours, where sinful people are brought together in families. We know it's the story of this family, and we know it's the story of our own families, because we know our own hearts, and our own hearts are sinful. So Father, might we learn some lessons as we look at this story, lessons of how to live lives of flourishing, lives that are blessed as a result of following your certain word. But Lord, thank you for the fact that it points us to the gospel once again. It points us to the righteousness of Christ in whom we can put our sure and certain hope. And so Lord, I pray for each of us this evening that we would be leaving knowing that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that we would have sought Christ as our Savior and Lord. Lord, where we need to take drastic action against sin this evening, sin that so easily entangles, maybe sin that, well, it seemed like small steps at the start, and yet it's 
It's got deeper and deeper and deeper. Father, I pray that you would be at work in our hearts. Give us courage to be ruthless and to root it out and to live lives that are pleasing to you, the one true living God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.